Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Executive Health and Life. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, back at it again with one of my favorite words, another fascinating guest. Every guest is fascinating. I say it every episode, and I truly mean it. And so today we are talking about, I think this is actually a very um, timely uh, topic and episode to talk about, kind of with the way things are going in the world right now, the economy, some potential things going on. And it's all about the emotional stresses of running a business. And there's a lot of things that that intertwines. You know, as we talk about health, it's we, we mentioned nutrition and we mention exercise and sleep and all those good things. But, you know, a lot of us are business owners, leaders rising up the ranks in all different positions. And so there's a, another component there, which is our emotions and our stresses, which can affect our um, physical um, outlook. So with that said, there's a small business survey that showed that 81% of owners say that running the small business is taken away from their personal lives, which is unfortunate. And many of them missed out on the romantic and family life, which is an even bigger issue there. And so 39% of those singles were unable to remember the last time that they went on a date while wow, a date. And 53% not enjoying a family holiday because of the pressures. So uh, I'm talking with an expert today who's hopefully going to solve some of those problems for us. Actually, I know he is. And um, he's done a lot of things. He has an extensive resume. Currently, he's the Chief Growth Officer at Zero. He's a board member at The Gap, and he's involved in a few other companies. Apparently, he also has a, um, a patent as well. He's holding a patent. So he's a man of all trades. He has many other um, exec positions as well, which I'll which we'll probably talk about. I am speaking with none other than Chris O'Neill. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Julian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for that very kind introduction. Yeah, thank you for joining me. And, um, you know, I think a good place to start is I was just going through your Twitter and um, not to sound crazy, but uh, there's a there's a quote from Seinfeld that you shared and it was to find the torture that you can live with. That's a great metaphor yeah. for not only the running and the training I do, but it's also a great metaphor for life and business as well. So um, is that one of your favorite quotes that you live by? Well, it's a, it's a recent one for sure. And, and it's just an acknowledgement that like there are things in life, uh, whether it's in your personal life, dealing with raising a family or uh, certainly certainly the, the challenges, the ever-present challenges or being executive in a business. And you just have to acknowledge that there's going to be some things you have to embrace and just live with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's about setting expectations, setting ambitions, uh, ambitious goals, rather, um, but also understand that there's going to be, you know, going to be peaks and valleys. And you just have to know that and know it's part of the game, embrace it and find, find comfort with it, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. no one, no one ever said life's going to be easy. And certainly life's of, uh, of small businesses, uh, certainly you know, even without pandemics, yeah, really difficult. So, you know, I do like that quote. Um, I, I do, I collect quotes and I have like a, a part, um, a, a place where I keep them, and I sometimes, you know, throw them onto Twitter and social media, or really just read them to, to to gain inspiration, or just really think think about what uh, what it might mean for for others. Well, I've added this to my quote bank as well now, so I thank you for that. And before we even dive any any um, further, um, let's get a brief origin story about you. So, if we go back in time, Chris, as a little boy, would we have guessed that he's doing what he's doing right now? I, I could. It's probably no, a hard no. You know, I, uh, so I, I grew up in in Canada in a very small town um, on the, you know, I have to say the banks of the mighty Maitland River in, in a town called Godridge, Ontario, and Godridge is about seven thousand, eight thousand people. So it's really small. And I, um, you know, my parents were small business owners, and so I, 
I know of what I speak, what I saw firsthand, you know, my parents just doing their thing, right? My mom did all the kind of um, office related stuff, balance the books. And my dad, you know, would um, do the staff and order the goods for our, for the small, um, small retail store that we operated there. We all had to work in that store. Um, I was like a, a pretty a stereotypical Canadian uh, boy played hockey. That's all I really cared about. I <laughs> played a lot of sports. Um, didn't really take school very seriously uh, until my parents actually sent me away. They sent me to uh, sent me away. So like I was punished or something. I went to <laughs> I went to boarding school in uh, Toronto, Ontario, where I was originally born, uh, where I was born, and and that's when I woke up to a much broader world. It was Toronto's an amazing city, very cosmopolitan, lots of different cultures, lots of different um, uh, backgrounds, and it was there. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's a whole wide world out, out here, and that was the first first uh, real phase of, of my career. And, and then I've um, been very fortunate from there to, to really had an interesting career that's taken me all over the world. Um, I'm currently in Silicon Valley. And so I've had a, a really fun time in technology. But, you know, if you if you had asked me when I was a little boy, I wanted to play hockey, <laughs> like really, maybe, maybe as I got a little older, drink some beer, and play hockey. And, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't have thought I'd be, um, I've had so much opportunity and so many great great um you know teams to be part of wonderful companies so so the short answer is no but uh boy i've enjoyed the the ride mm -hmm. yeah you have a great you have a great uh resume people you know you have tim hortons you have google you have evernote you have zero right now you have the gap and then there's a, a couple other ventures that you're doing so the process of becoming a senior exec let's uh, dive a little bit into kind of your career trajectory and rising up the ranks like that because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are interested yeah. exactly what does it take to become a uh, senior exec yeah it's it's it always makes more sense when you look backwards i can just tell you that it certainly is serendipitous and you you, you really um you kind of live in the moment and, and really prioritize things that matter to you and to me that's all about people so like my criteria is pretty simple it starts with solving interesting or hard problems with great people and that might sound Right, but for me, the force multiplier on working with great people is 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 higher, I think, than average. So, I have I mean, that maybe is a tracing back to my my roots as a, as a person who learned most things in life through playing team sport. I'm a big believer in in the the, the value of of sport. I'm fortunate to raise two, be raising with my wife, two lovely, you know, awesome kids. Uh, they're teenagers, and sports is an essential part of their life. And you know, that's by design and I'm just thrilled that they, they enjoy it. So to me, it's really about those problems in the world that you can solve alongside amazing people. And really, especially at this stage, uh, and I didn't realize it in the early stage of my career because it really was about just learning, but it's really about doing something that matters, right, in the mm -hmm. world um, and having impact against a mission that, that really, really matters. And that really informs where I am today. And when I think about when I've been at my best as a leader, it really is when that mission speaks to me you know, on, on a very deep level, but ultimately comes back to like really surrounding yourself with people, people you can learn from, people that you trust, and then you can go into, into battle together. So, you know, really those have been some of the common ingredients for me, you know, and leadership more generally is about delivering results um, against, you know, together as a team and, um, and really building up cap capabilities and teams. So I've been really, really fortunate, but I think it really traces back to a life of learning most things on a, uh, in a, in a hockey arena or on a, on a mm -hmm. soccer field or, you know, places in between. So that's, that's sort of at the highest level, how I've thought about, about the career and, and the journey. And I've, I've always tried to prioritize people. How do you think someone, um, 
in terms of developing becoming a better leader what do you what do you see as some of the the common kind of chokeholds and gaps that that determine that usually stops someone from being a good leader to a great leader yeah the first is clear self-awareness um it, it's really to understand yourself and and if you don't understand yourself it's really difficult to then you know really know how to build teams and and work and nurture um, really uh, work on continuous improvement, right? Like that's, that's a essential part. You have to know what you're, you're great at. Um, I thought that's one part of it. And the other part is to be open and vulnerable, right? It's like, if, if you don't know, uh, first of all, your strengths and the things where you, you have to develop um, and then you're not willing to put yourself out there, then you're really limited, I think. And I think those are the two dimensions that I see as common things that hold people back who maybe have, have done really well in the earlier phases of their career, uh, but then the later stages, it's really about self-awareness. It's really about emotional intelligence as much, if not more than in, you know, you know, IQ, raw intelligence. And then the last piece that I'd say, you know, uh, I've had high highs and low lows as you do in your career. And, and I think the last part is about resilience. And uh, almost like I, heard, I came across this term recently called the adversity quotient, right? Mm. I think that we all have to, to really build our adversity quotient because if you're going to do something that matters in life, you're going to have setbacks and you got to learn from it. And that really builds what I, you know, I'm, I've, I've stolen this there now called the adversity quotient, mm -hmm. but it really does take a combination of those three things, I think, to be, you know, to be an effective, an effective leader. Uh, and that's certainly what I look for when I'm hiring people. I like that uh, adverse, adversity quotient. I like that, you know, so yeah. you're, you're giving me a couple extra things to add to the bank as well, <laughs> you know, kind of piggybacking on that and, and leading to the yeah. next thing is um, we kind of mentioned the psychological price of entrepreneurship yeah. and, and, and just uh, being in general, being responsible for yeah. a lot of individuals. And it's not just those individuals, it's there's families yeah. as well. So we can kind of yeah. understand going back to that survey that we talked about at the beginning of the episode that, um, yeah just price on that. So over the course of years, since you've kind of been in both worlds, and so what has kind of been some ways that you kind of have gotten better at navigating it? Because I'm sure day one, you were not that good at it. Well, I, I still wrestle with it, to be really clear. I am, I'm constantly experimenting with different ways, both in terms of, uh, you know, my physical and spiritual and emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. Like, think about, you know, I have a friend, uh, Al Mishra, who talks, has written a book about what he calls vitality, which is the four elements of of what makes you vital, right? Physical, mm -hmm. physical emotional, spiritual, and, and then your, your mental health. Um, so I'm constantly, you know, fascinated with that. But like, let's acknowledge it's just, it really is, um, it's 24 seven, right? When you're running a business, um, you know, whether you're literally doing something, a task related, or you're thinking about, you, you can never, I mean, it's the, the, the successful leaders that I know or the people running a business, it's really difficult for them to switch off. Um, but you have to find ways to, to, uh, invest in outside interests and passions that make you a more well-rounded person and really like refueling that, um, you know, yourself and your battery, right? It's, you know, I, I once took a, a course and, and we had this, this amazing Irish teacher, who, you know, he works with like Navy SEALs and surgeons and, and executives. And he gave us this metaphor. He said, you know, and pi uh, pilots, he works with pilots too. And the, the metaphor was like, you know, it's actually illegal to land a plane with, um, with, uh, uh, with not much fuel left in the tank, right? You, you will get arrested if you, were a, if you are a pilot and you land a plane without much left in the tank. And you can, you can probably imagine where the metaphor goes. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. think about the times that we do that at the end of the day or 
the week. Um, I got, I got home, got stuck in a storm last night. I got home at like, I don't know, one in the morning, you know, I'm, I was landing that plane with not much, not much fuel in, in my tank. So, so, so trying to be aware of that, like you can't let that battery get too low. You have to find things that will, will recharge it. So, you know, early in, early in my, uh, actually it was, it was just very early in my Google career, we had this course and we took a diagnostic and it was like kind of like an energy audit of like where, where you were. And I was like, I was like bright red, not in a good way. I just had a kid. I just started a job. We just bought a house. And I was like, and all the major stressors checked off. And, and the takeaway for me was, look, like you have to get ahead of that stuff uh, early in your life or throughout life to build in routines that basically can allow you to, to rejuvenate your vitality. And the metaphor was, was, was really helpful for me about it's not your time that you're trying to manage. It's actually your energy. Mm-hmm. So I've really used that and found ways, um, not always successfully, I might add. I've burnt out more times than I care to admit. So I don't pretend to be, uh, to be have perfected this, but I'm at least aware of the different elements of what causes me to be ener- you know, energized and show up and the things that can really, really, I call it my recipe, right? It's mm-hmm. like literally, if, I, if, if I'm a person, like, well, how do I, what's my recipe to show up as a leader as best I can? So I, I encourage people to find out what their recipe is because mileage may vary you know, in terms of things that work for me versus for you, Julian, or, or people who are listening to this podcast. But I really, really encourage people to think about their energy. You can give a couple of, of tactical tips if that's a helpful mm-hmm. um, about how, how I found uh, it to be helpful for me and, and, and people I get to interact with. What's, what's, some of the, what's a couple of the strongest ingredients in your recipe in terms of helping yeah. to manage your energy? Yeah. Um, I orient everything around sleep. Um, and again, I struggle with it to be clear, but if, um, if that's the kind of top, like that's the, that's like the, or maybe the base layer of the metaphorical Maslow's hierarchy needs is sleep. By four or five of the following things, like, you know, somewhere around seven hours of sleep. Um, if I get some cardio uh, exercise, it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be a walk like 20 minutes. Um, if I eat clean food, and I don't have any alcohol. Um, and if like added added bonus on rare days, if I just have like five, 10, even 15 minutes of just mindfulness, just quiet time where I can just reflect that if, you know, I don't, I can't remember the last time I ran the table with all five of those things, mm-hmm. but if I get two or three of those things in a day, I know that it's, it's, it's really starting off in a good way. Um, but it really starts with sleep. I just, you know, I've, I've become obsessed with this. I've read a lot. Um, uh, Matt Walker has a book, Why We Sleep, is mm-hmm. I highly book. recommend that. And just it just really reflects about like it's almost just like it's almost like a super drug um, that really fuels your effectiveness. And when I get off track, it usually has to do with sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would recommend. Yeah, I can notice when I go a couple of days without not getting a sufficient amount of sleep. And uh, yeah. usually it's just my mood and I'm just a little more snappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, so as we move on for that, um, and let's talk about your, your your current venture right now at Zero, yeah. and this yeah. is a it's a newly created role, and I see a lot of parallels, kind of in terms of um, you know, there's a lot of different things because for listeners out there, Zero's not located in um, it's not headquartered in, in the U.S. It's quite far away in New Zealand, and so and so you're working with international, you're working with teams all over, uh-huh. and it's a new position. So the first thing is, um, what attracted you to it? Yeah, it really goes back to what I was referring to. I, um, you know, I saw my parents 
growing up, uh, we all, as I said, we all had to work. I have, I have three siblings, two older brothers and a younger uh, sister. And uh, we all had to work in the store. And, and like we, my parents, I used to say, had two jobs. Like they would do the job on the floor of the retail store and the office of the, the retail store we operated. And then like we would come home from our various activities, usually sports related stuff. And we always try to have dinner together. Mm-hmm. So we had dinner together around this creaky old wooden table in our small town. And, and then Godridge, and, and then afterwards, we clear the table. We'd always have to do the dishes. And then my parents would start their second shift, right? They'd start their second job, which was basically all the back office stuff that they had to take care of. And, you know, just not the searing mark. First of all, I was like, I, gosh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I, want, I don't mind working hard, but boy, they work extra hard. Like, it was very, never a night, like, you know, I can remember, where I didn't go to bed before my father you know, wasn't sitting on and with my mom usually at the other end of the table doing their second job. So um, really to me, as I've been fortunate to have a career in technology, I was like, gosh, there has to be a better way. Like there has to be a way to take at least some of that second job and get it done. And sure enough, there is like, there's lots of different things. Like, and that's really what zero is all about, right? It's like, you know, gosh, how can you make uh, and automate some elements of the system of record, like your financial statements? Like you need to have financial statements as a, as a, any business. Uh, of any scale needs them. So that's really what zero does. It really takes some of that burden away from, from uh, the small businesses and their, their, their coaches or advisors. So to me, that mission speaks to me. And then really, I, I love global businesses, right? I've been fortunate to work in all sorts of different places in the world. Um, I do love the, we were talking a little bit about the Kiwi culture, uh, just how beautiful New Zealand is and you know, Australia. These are wonderful places. Uh, and it basically you know, speaks to, to my Canadian upbringing and roots and, and the uh, sensibilities, I guess. So I've been really fortunate to work with some incredible humans uh, on the other side of the, of the world, uh, as well as over in Europe and, and uh, about, about that. And then it's ultimately about how you can put that back office, you know, sometimes we say back office in your back pocket as, a, as an owner. So how do you abstract away a lot of the complexities and all those those things that get in the way of, of the real reason why a small business started the business in the first place. You know, really that's what gets in the way, you know, the surveys the results you're describing is like, gosh, you're so busy doing a lot of this back office stuff, this routine, this stuff that you'd rather probably not do. Like most small businesses didn't, didn't get into business to do taxes. I can assure you that. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're trying to help them you know, abstract away a lot of that stuff. So, to me, being being a, a small part in this mission to say, hey, how do we make their lives truly easier and not just hand wavy say that, but to actually be able to to literally, you know, when you talk to accountants, you talk to bookkeepers that we work with, they're like, literally, you guys changed my life. And they mean that sincerely. So being a part of that's really, really cool. And there's a lot of other jobs that we're helping small businesses do from everything from the movement of money to help them get paid faster helping them manage employees if they have them, helping pay their employees properly and in different ways. And then really extending the value by having lots of other um, people, participants in our ecosystem that are allowed to build solutions and technology on top of this platform to solve you know, many, many, many other, like thousands of other problems. So it's a, it's an honor. It's a great company with a wonderful mission and, um, and a really, um, a real human culture mm-hmm. with good human beings and, uh, an orientation to helping helping make a difference in the lives of small businesses, which is which is really cool. So I'm curious, like the, the thought process of you you have to build this this division, this part of the company up. So how does how does that go about? Are you thinking of certain roles, or do you base it off what's the objective, and then you find yeah. roles for that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So so um, the the original like the system of record. So but basically, there's this thing called the general ledger. 
And that, that is really what then translates into financial statements at every company. And that's really where Zero started. And we do that really well. So to, to stay organized and stay compliant and to pay your taxes, like that's really the main job, if you will, that, that we're hired to do. And then there are, but there are others, right? So as I mentioned, I'm like, gosh, every small business is like, has to you know, get paid, right? So, and one of the challenges of, of a small business, and if you, if you step back for a second and think of the real challenge, it's really, really hard to think about it, but less than about 50% of businesses make it past their fifth anniversary. So about half die by the time they turn five. Um, and what are the reasons that is, and how can we bend that curve, if you will? One of them is cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. If you, you really, even when you're growing, you need cash flow. So getting access to cash, um, just you know, in, in the day-to-day stuff, like I issue an invoice, and how do we make it really easy for you to pay me fast? I'm going to give you an incentive. Well, part of it is is um, managing the flow of money, both money out and money into the company. So that's one part. And the other is is, is the management of people. And again, the biggest job for, for that is really paying them properly. But there are many, many other things, making sure benefits are there if you have them, um, those sorts of things. So we're really intentional about, okay, so we say, how do we move from a system of record, right, to a system of engagement with the, with people? And then over time, this is where AI and some of these, these things that become buzzy in the Valley and all over the world right now is how can you be a system of advice or insight, if you will, to say, hey, maybe uh, maybe your, your inventory levels are, are piling up a little too high or gosh, you you could maybe take advantage of this opportunity over here with, with a supplier of yours. So how do you use collective uh, intelligence to, to make specific recommendations for a small business to make their business run a little bit better? So to me, it's about from the original beginnings of this system, other jobs, and we're really intentional about money, people, and then goods like inventory. So if you're selling stuff, how do you, how do you make all that stuff just integrate and automate so that you can, again, get back to running you know, your business and, and the passion that you have for, for doing that? So speaking of people, and that was one of the things you mentioned, is that you're working with individuals from various countries. And so, uh, and you mentioned that you also love global businesses. So there's, you have experience doing this obviously, but how is the adjustment in terms of like, there's so many different cultures and even just the way you communicate. So I'm from Nashville and, but I lived in New York for a year during grad school. And when I came back to Nashville, I still had my New York mentality on. So I was a lot more direct. Yeah. I was a little more, in, I was a little more just like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I, I, you know, I lost a little of my Southern hospitality, quote unquote, but I got it back now. But, you know, how, so how, how is that you're conveying kind of a mission, a vision for your role and in the company overall, but then you have so many different cultures and everything. So how do you kind of get everyone on board? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I believe that there are some core truths about how people like to be treated, and and what they, especially in the work context, what they expect. Right? They expect to be working on something meaningful. You know, Daniel Pink's work is really, I think, is far it's like it's like autonomy, purpose, and um, uh, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those three things come together. I believe I believe those are universal. Right? Wherever anyone is in the world. So, the interpretation of that might be slightly different. So. You know, again, come back to being self-aware, um, really assuming positive intent, right? So, um, if you if you if you demonstrate to someone that you care about them, right? This goes back to some of Kim Scott's work in Radical Candor. Like she talks about you have to show that you care personally, and then you have to be direct. Um, and again, that that is true across all cultures. So, how do you find a way 
to demonstrate that you care directly. Well, like we all know that, like you can tell if someone cares about you or not. So you find a way to do that. Um, that then is the, is the recipe for building trust over time. So that if I have, if I do something or I say something that, that is culturally you know, interpreted in a different way, you're going to assume positive intent and you're going to say, Hey, Chris, you, you said this, like, what, what did you mean? Like, is that, mm-hmm. you know, how, how am I to interpret that? So to me, it's about a base layer of understanding of what, what people expect in, when they show up in their per- personal and professional life. And how do you deliver that? How do you build uh, a foundation of trust so that when you're going about to do work, you can, um, you can establish, establish a common understanding. You can establish team norms, right? In terms of how things, how things get done. I'm a big fan of actually articulating that, right? Like just really like, what are our values? How do we get things done around here? How do we make decisions, right? How do we communicate to our people? How do we communicate with one another? Uh, and, and, so, and so on. And how do you have those rituals that are written down and then really celebrated? Those are the things that I found to be some of the foundations for um, for, for really effective cross-culture you know, leadership and, and working. And it, it does not, it's not always smooth sailing, but uh, with, you know, with those sorts of things in place, you can come back to, to a strong front foundation or a kind of a calm harbor, if you will, sometimes when you're out, out at sea and get buffeted around by the winds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I'm curious, what is, um, what is, what does success look like for you at, at, at um, as you're building this position out? What does that look like? Well, um, like, I know it's not directly what you asked. Like, success for me is raising good kids. Mm-hmm. It's not really what you're what you're after. You know, to me, I kind of like is, I like that answer yeah. though. I kind of like that answer though. You know, but um, yeah. I get your point though. Well, yeah, I, I, I have a seventeen-year-old who's going to be you know, going going away to, to the university in a, in a year or so. So I, I'm getting introspective. I'm like, oh man, like we only got a little <laughs> bit of time left here. But but I digress. You know, to me, it comes back to to what I was describing, right? Like life is, as a small business is, is, is hard, and 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 for many many reasons that the, like that's part of the journey, and that's part of what makes it special. But there's a whole bunch of the tasks that just need to be simplified. So to me, it's about, hey, how can success is, can we bend that curve? Can like can we make that, that number smaller? The people that don't make it past five years or maybe stay in the positive. How do we have higher survivability rates by basically helping, you know, removing some of that complexity or some of the, the administrative chore uh, and burden for small business? So that, that would be... You know, at the highest level, that would be what it would, would be like so that, you know, business can be more joyful, right? It really, it can be that um, so that when you just you're trying to do something like I admire companies like Stripe and companies like Shopify. Stripe is making accepting a payment just, just easy. It used to be really, really difficult. Now it's not. Shopify, same thing, right? Setting up a store, right? A storefront used to be you have to jump through all these hoops and mm-hmm. now you can just, you know, kind of get going in a matter of a few clicks, um, and there are many examples of every every layer of the stack, if you will, or much of these jobs. There are really wonderful tools and technology in place that that really helps with that real purpose. Like if you want to remove the friction, you know, really just become like an operating system that helps those entrepreneurs just do their do their thing, right? And the good news is there's more businesses being started in the United States and to some extent the rest of the world than ever before. Um, COVID was a bit of an accelerant to that. So people, people are starting businesses and, um, really our job, our success is to make them more successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people will actually be surprised to hear that. And that's kind of what I see with, you know, there's talks of a recession and well, 
yeah. could be in a recession now if you go by the original definition, I believe. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of times people don't think that usually during these downtimes is when it's a good time to start a business or when most people do yeah. just take that jump. So so this question here is like, say we have a small business out there and we've been talking about this five-year period as kind of one of the milestones. Oh. Say they're in year three or five. So mm -hmm. they're still probably a little scrappy getting by and everything. And you know, you got all this kind of doom and gloom in the news a little bit in terms of about what's coming yeah. and how things are going to be. What are kind of some, what are maybe two to three tidbits of advice that you would give someone at that stage right now who knows that maybe the next year or so it might be a, a little more challenging? Yeah, um, I, I would say a few things. I, the original, the original reason why the, the person started the company usually lies lies the, the truth of the kernel because you know what what is the most important thing in a small business is are you solving a real problem uh, and and are you doing it in a way that's unique in some way, shape, or form? It doesn't have to be you know some crazy, crazy you know uh, uh, you know uh, longly uh, uh, sorry. Um, many sentences of differentiation. It's just like, what's your, what's your niche and how can you defend it? And how can you really keep your eye on that? Right. What is it you, that, that we do uniquely on this earth uh, that, that very few others can do. So I'd say, say that. And then the other is like, there are tools that can make life a lot, a lot easier. So I, I would suggest people experiment with different tools, right? There's lots of, lots of um, innovation in the, in the SaaS world that, you know, really, especially for small businesses right now, there are more and more things that can really like take, take payments, right? The fact that people issue um, checks in this country and there's like a crazy high percentage of people that still do business with manual checks. Like that's just silly to me. And so like a minister of burden that no one needs, like just automate and digitize things wherever you can. Now that's just going to make your business much more efficient. Um, it'll improve your cash flow, uh, improve um, you know some core elements of the operation. So that's, that's what I'd say. And then the other one is brace for like brace for, 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 um, Build your resilience and be braced for a long, a long journey. It's going to be uh, there are going to be ups and going to be downs. And coming back to the things we were describing before, find a way to put your metaphorical oxygen mask on, so that you can take care of yourself uh, first, so that you can ultimately then be there for your team, be there for your customers and your community. So those would be the three things. Like number one, anchor back in your unique value proposition to the world and why you're unique. Secondly, is really find ways to remove some of the friction. That really can move some of the most important cash flow as, as being one example. And then lastly, like really show up as a leader by basically continuing to invest in your own well-being and your own you know, vitality. Okay. I like that. And um, so as we get ready to kind of wrap this up here, um, there's a few last questions. And so I'm just, I'm personally curious, the process of, of getting a patent and what was your, um, what was the inspiration behind that? Oh, um, it, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's an interesting one. So we, we were, um, I was looking for ways at, at Evernote to, to think about um, really the, the teams had so much energy and so many great ideas. And, um, you know, we, we actually did a hack week. We, like sometimes you do a hack day or hack weekend. And, and what, we, what we did is there's, there's no constraint. There's basically everybody, other than everyone in the company has to participate. And they have to come up with an idea that, that you're going to have four to five days from beginning to end to, to get it done. Um, and, and mine was related to um, how we could use handwritten notes uh, and, and translate those automatically uh, into digital form. So one is like this optical character recognition. Um, and it was in the specific context that said a lot of salespeople were using Evernote. 
And sometimes they would handwrite and sometimes they would use notes. Um, but the, the idea, the nugget was, how do we take all that in, whether it's handwritten or Evernote written, how do we just port that stuff into Salesforce, right? So if, if we're sitting here as a, in a sales context, it's like, okay, what's the opportunity? How many seats? Who's the decision maker? Some of the key questions that you either prepare before a sales interaction or that you, you, you extract or you learn through the course of that conversation. And how do we just automatically do that? So it was really that idea. We worked with an amazing team that week to do it. And uh, they scanned literally years of my notebooks to start to detect patterns. Like this is what generative AI is really all about today. This goes back many, 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 many years. So it's just like automatically taking these inputs and then mapping them into, in this case, it was Salesforce. So that was that was the, the, the gist of, of it. And yeah, someone said like, wow, this is kind of an interesting idea. We should, we should apply for a patent. And, yeah, uh, to be clear, the team deserves all the credit. They did the hard work. I, I contributed the notebooks and some of the ideas, uh, but like most things in life, like the team deserves all the credit. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And so the last question here is simply, um, what are three things that you're most excited about right now? Oh, um, I am I'm very excited about, as I said, like um, helping my, my children launch uh, in, their, in their, you know, as I go to the next phase of their life. I'm super excited about that really in the balance of like thinking about different schools and all that good stuff. So I'm excited about that. Um, I did, you know, the technology world is prone for hype cycles, right? In fact, mm-hmm. Gardner has something called the hype cycle and it's very well understood. Um, but uh, the, the, the hype around generative AI needs to have a better name, by the way, but the hype is, is real in my mind. And I actually think it's one of the rare exceptions where the hype isn't enough. Right. Just if we think about where the world is going and, and just how far and fast uh, the creation and the connection of dots and the insights that is going to be you know, going to be possible already is possible, but it's going to mm-hmm. accelerate like, gosh, the next two, three years are super exciting. Uh, so I get really excited about that. And then lastly, it's just like I, I'm excited to help small businesses. Right. Like it's it's just they need our help. There's tools to help them uh, making the connection to basically allow them to focus on the thing that really that spark that caused them to create that business in the first place. I get excited about that too. So that I had to pick three. Those would be the three. Mm-hmm. Awesome to hear. And um, so if listeners or anyone wants to connect with you uh, or check out the work that you're up to, where could they find this at? Yeah, I, I I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes I'm on Twitter. Uh, so uh, my Twitter handle is CR O'Neill and then LinkedIn, you can just find me. Okay. There, so, I will have both of those in the notes. And Chris, thank you again for joining me. I've enjoyed this conversation and um, and especially learning about the, the patents and the process about that. So um, I'm sure when I re-listen to this and so I can actually focus on what you're saying and not just think about questions, I'm going to get even a lot more value out of that. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Julian. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you do have that that great hospitality. So you're natural at this and I enjoyed this conversation very much. So thank you. I appreciate it. And listeners out there, stay awesome, be limitless, and as always, go be the CEO of your health and life. Goodbye.